0: You're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it out and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you stick your finger in the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit Psalms. Right after that is the book of Proverbs. And this week is really a part two, although if you missed last week, that's okay. Last week, the question that we considered is, why can you trust God and His plan for your life? You, individually, why can you trust Him and His good plan for you? And we looked at Psalm 139 that teaches us we have been knitted together by God. Uh, We we were woven together in our mother's womb. All of our days were laid out before we even took our first breath. God knows us and loves us. This week we're going to continue that line of thinking and we're going to consider the question, how can you know God's plan for your life? How can you know? Uh, working with teenagers and young people, you would think this question comes up quite a bit at the very beginning of their life, as they are beginning their road trip, so to speak, of life. They wonder, where am I supposed to go to college? What am I supposed to do when I'm an adult? What decisions are I'm going to make? But really, I found working with teenagers, it's the other question that's more foundational. Uh, Who am I? Uh, How can I trust Uh, this God who has made me, uh, how can he define who I am? And it's really a question of identity before it's a question of purpose. When you get your identity right, who you are, it will flow into a purpose. I've also visited and ministered with so many senior adults who who have have lived a wonderful life and have gone on an amazing road trip. And they get to the end of their life and, and perhaps their spouse has passed away. And they wonder sometimes the same thing as the young people do. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Why am I still here? I can resonate with that. So I want you to know that no matter how old you are or what situation of life you find yourself in today, that God loves you and he has a marvelous plan for your life. How do I know it? Because his word says so. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You may have had this verse on a piece of art in your home or gotten a card uh, with this, this verse in it. You may have seen it on uh, Facebook, on an image or something like that. It's a verse that we are all familiar with. But when we go beyond just the superficial quick reading of it, and we kind of sink down deep into it, we really learn how God wants to reveal His plan for us. Now, I'll give you a warning at the beginning. This is not a magic formula. This is not, if you'll do A and B, God will do C. Uh, God doesn't work like that. He's not a, a magic genie that just does whatever we ask him to do. But when we say, God, not, your will, not my will, but yours be done, and I want to yield to your plan for my life, he will reveal that plan to us step by step along the road trip. So the road trip is a metaphor for life throughout the twists and turns. Everything that we encounter, God wants to show us his plan. Whatever situation you're facing in life, whatever is in your family, Whatever you're dealing with at work, in your career, in your thought life, God has a plan for you. The book of Proverbs was written by Solomon, who was David's son. Solomon became king of Israel probably before he was even 20 years old. And he ruled for 40 years during the glory days of Israel. There was lots of prosperity and peace all around during Solomon's reign. And he asked God for one thing, wisdom. And so God gave him wisdom, and the book of 1 Kings tells us that Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, was the wisest man on all the earth. Now, he had all this wisdom that we know was given by God. He's the source of wisdom. Now, knowing wise things and doing wise things are two different things. Solomon knew all of this wisdom through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote down Proverbs, but he didn't always live it out. And so he was a flawed human being just like you and me. The first part of Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father writing to his son, passing down life lessons. And that's exactly where we find ourselves in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. And we will read simply verse 5 and 6. The Word of God says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Let's pray. Lord, you're good to us. Thank you for your word that is our guide, our road map to the road trip of life. God, thank you that you have a plan for us, a plan for our good, for your glory. God, I pray that you would reveal to that, that to us this morning. I pray that, that we would yield to your Holy Spirit and allow you to work in this time. God, that your word would be proclaimed clearly. God, we pray that if someone doesn't know Jesus, that they would begin the journey of following him through salvation today. We thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for each person here. I pray that you would speak to their hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you three commands that the Bible gives us before we can understand God's plan. Uh, These commands, again, are not just a formula. You can do these things and then this is, boom, going to happen. But these are three commands that God has given us. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We don't do these commands to earn his love. But because he's loved us and he's given us his spirit, we can obey these commands. There's three of them in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The first one is very simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. First thing I want you to remember today is to rely. To rely. To rely on who? Well, the Bible makes it clear. To rely on God. To know the person that you are trusting to give you the plan. Not to rely on your own strength or your own understanding or or your own intelligence or talents, but to fully rely on Him. This word trust means to, to be confident. It expresses a feeling of safety and security because another person is watching you. Think of of a little child trusting a parent to, to love them and to protect them and to provide for them. That's how we must trust God, knowing that he is giving us the safety and security we need. It carries the image of lying down on. Think of it like this. When you lie down at night, you lie down on your bed. And when you lie down, you're trusting that bed to hold you up and to give you a warm, comfortable night's sleep. Or we might say a cool night's sleep because I sleep with a fan on full blast and 68 degrees, okay? Anybody with me? I don't like being hot when I sleep. But when you lay down on that bed at night, you're trusting that bed to hold you up. Uh, You're not not just putting your foot out on the floor and kind of propping that up. You're not putting your, your arm on the dresser or the nightstand. When we trust God, we trust him with all our heart, just like you lay down on the bed with all your body, entirely, without exception. Trust is based on God's character, who he is. It's not based on our performance or or, or our experience or even what we can see. It's based on who God is through his word revealed and displayed through the faithfulness of him in our lives. It's built by relationship. Think for the moment your, your most healthy and valuable relationship you have. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe you have a friend that, that is just your bestie. You've known them your whole life. Think about how that relationship came to be built. Think about the trust that you have in that relationship. All of us need one person that we can confide in, that we can, can share our burdens and the things that we're walking through. Think about how that trust was built. That trust was built over time, through adversity, through challenges, getting to know that person. It is the same way when you're building trust with God. You have a relationship with him. The more you get to know him, the more you trust him. The more you walk through difficult situations to see he is faithful and strong, the more you grow in your love and relationship for him. The song used to go like this, The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. So we trust in God, we we rely on Him, and we rely with all our heart. It's very important because our idea of a heart is different from God's idea of a heart. We think of a heart as as emotions and lovey-dovey feelings. And the word heart, as we've seen in the Old Testament, definitely includes our emotions. But it also includes our mind and our spirit and our will and our thoughts and everything about us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. When the Bible says to trust in God with all your heart, it's saying go all the way off the diving board and jump into the deep end. Don't hold anything back for your trust in him. So you must rely on him. True trust is total trust. Let me say that again. True trust is total trust, not holding anything back. That brings us to the second command. After we've relied on him, We must reject. You say, what should should I reject? Well, the Bible makes that clear too. Lean not on your own understanding. This is kind of the opposite of the first command. first command is to rely on God and His strength and to trust in Him. The second command is to absolutely reject our own understanding. This word, lean, literally means to lean on something like a staff or a crutch. Uh, figuratively, the way that it's used here is to rely on someone for help or protection. So, so lean. You're leaning on something. You've got something supporting you. I want to give a little object illustration. A few months ago, one of my favorite guys in the church, Cliff McElroy, he gave me this staff, and he surprised me with it. I had no idea he was giving it to me. And he said to me, if you're going to be a real South Arkansan, You need to have a good walking stick. So I really felt like one of you when Cliff gave me this staff. He walks around in the woods, finds them, and then he finishes them up. And I guess there was a vine. There's a little cool, unique part of it. I keep it in my office. Sometimes when the weather permits, I'll go out and walk the back 40 in the church and pray for you and and spend time with the Lord and and just enjoy. But you think about this, this staff, and the word lean, I'm leaning on it, and I'm trusting it people criticize Christianity, and they say, it's just a crutch. You bet it's a crutch. I can't go through life without having something to lean on, and leaning on something is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, so I'm leaning. I'm trusting. That's the picture. Now, as we continue to reject our own way, uh, we're not leaning on our own understanding. That's a a crutch that's going to break when we lean on it too hard. But when we lean on God, He will always lift us up. He'll always prop us up. Proverbs 3 5 in the Good News Translation, I want you to hear this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Listen to this. Never rely on what you think you know. The Bible says, don't be wise in your own understanding. Uh, sometimes people will say, "Uh, you have a lot of wisdom. I said, no, I don't. I I don't want to be known as a wise person. I don't want to even think of myself as a wise person because that is the first step to not relying on God and relying on my own understanding, knowing that he's the source of wisdom. Uh, In our situations in life, in our problems, in the big decisions that you have to make, sometimes our own understanding, we think that we know it all about that situation. We think we know all of the ins and outs and, and all of the different nuances and dynamics of the decision, uh, and, and we, we think we can figure it out on our own. Uh, but God says, "Don't rely on what you think you know or what you think you can see. Rely on Me." We must reject we must reject ourselves, our own talent and our effort, our good works, even our own intelligence. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. If we trust in ourselves, we're being quite foolish. We need to reject our sight. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Just because you can't see God working doesn't mean he's not working. Just because it feels like he's not there doesn't mean that he's not there. He's there even when you can't see it or feel it or understand it or even explain it. But you can trust it that he's there. You can reject your sight. You also need to reject any separation that you have from God. Too often uh, in life, we, we kind of compartmentalize our lives. We, we, we say, God, I'm going to give you a, a Sunday morning, and then Monday I'm going to go to school or work or wherever I go, and, and I'm going to do my thing there. And then I'm going to go to the, the deer club or the duck club or the country club or whatever club you go to, and I'm going to be uh, all there, and I'm just going to have that part of my life. And we separate out our lives our home with our families, where we work, where we hang out with our friends when we go to church. And we leave God out of certain parts of our lives. I've seen it illustrated, and I like to illustrate it like this. Especially with, with students and working with young people, there's a term that's called moral therapeutic deism. It's a really fancy word, and I'm about to explain it to you. A really fancy phrase. It's simply this. A lot of the religion in America today has a form of Christianity A form of godliness, but denies its power. And so a lot of of Christians today will have what we call a little Jesus in their pocket. Now this is a little Moses, because I thought it would be a little sacrilegious to have a little Jesus. But imagine this represented Jesus. And a lot of us today, we have Jesus in our pocket, and we don't pull him out until we want something or we're in trouble. And so, Jesus, I'm facing this difficulty. There's lots of layoffs at work. God, God, I don't know. My friend group at school has rejected me. They totally, my best friend totally sold me out. And we say, God, I need you. Would you show up? Would you give me what I need? Or we want a new bass boat or a car or or a truck or whatever it may be. And God, would you give this to me? We treat him like a Santa Claus. But instead of Jesus being in our pocket, he needs to be on the throne of our hearts. And we need to reject this idea that we can somehow separate our lives into these little boxes and not trust in Him with everything that we have. So we must reject any separation from God. Lean not on your own understanding. Then we must remember, move to verse 6. The Bible says, In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Rather than saying, God, I'm going to give you this part of my life, and I only want you when these things happen— We're going to acknowledge, we're going to know Him, and we're going to give the glory to Him in every part of our life. In in all the things that we do, we're going to recognize that God is in control of those things. There's things that I want you to remember, and that God wants you to remember. First of all, He wants you to remember when He saved you. Uh, May we never forget the moment that when we came to know Jesus, when He stepped into our life, And the darkness turned to life, and the heart of stone became a heart of flesh. And we trusted in him, and we had full forgiveness of sin. And the Bible says that he took us out of the pit, set our feet up on the rock. And not only did he he save us and forgive us, but the Bible says that he sealed us with his Holy Spirit, showing that that he's given us Jesus in us, given us the ability to live for him. And the seal is also a promise of, of heaven to come. And God has also adopted us into his family. When we were once an enemy of God, he loved us, and he brought us in, and now he calls us a son or a daughter. We must always remember that. We must always recognize that. In all of our ways, we must realize who we are and what God's done for us. Not only should we remember when he saved us, we should remember what he saved us from. What he saved us from. I'm not talking about just being so paralyzed by your past that you're hung up on guilt and shame. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But what I am saying is, remember who you were before Christ, and and you're looking back and you're saying, I don't want to go that way anymore. I'm not that person. The Bible says I'm a new creation. and, And that was the old me. I've got a brand new me. Remember what he saved you from. Also remember what he saved you for. When you're trying to understand his plan, remember his general revealed, very clear purposes for you. Before you can understand a specific plan or a will or get a decision done in your life and understand what God wants, you got to be making sure that you're following him and what he has clearly said to do. The Bible in many places gives us the clear, absolute will of God. Before you ask him for his plan in one area, you got to go back to the foundation. Here are some things that, that he said that he wills for us. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has created you to do good by his spirit. Here's some other things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we should not be grumbling or complaining or discontent. The Bible says that the clear will of God is to give thanks to him in everything that we go through. The Bible also says this, we've forgotten this one today. First Thessalonians four three for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. If we're looking at things we don't need to look at, we're thinking thoughts about another person that we're not supposed to think, if we're being unfaithful, we're doing something that we know is not right in God's eyes. That is not God's will. And we can't expect God to show us his will when we're living in sin. And so if you're living in in sexual immorality or if you have any of that in your life, the will of God is that you would confess that sin, and he will be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Here's one more, Romans 12.1. The Bible says, Don't be conformed to this world, don't look like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So God has a very specific will, and that's what he saved you for, is to know that will. Last, I want you to see the result. After you have relied on him, and you've rejected your own way, and you've remembered all that he's done in your past, all the things that he's carried you through when you didn't think you would get through, here's the result. He shall direct your paths. I love that word, shall. We don't use it, but it's a good word. It's a sure thing. When we trust in him with all our heart, when we lean not on our own understanding, when we acknowledge him in all our ways, the Bible says that he will direct the steps of our life. That's a very comforting statement to know that that when I'm doing my dead level best by the power of the Spirit to follow Jesus, God's going to show me the way. Someone said it like this, he gives us just enough light for the step that we're on. He doesn't just drop the plan and drop it down from heaven and we go. He wants us to trust him and follow him step by step to build faith, to build love for him, to build trust in him. God shows us step by step. He directs our paths. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. Listen to this. He delights in every detail of their lives. When God has saved you and you're walking in him and living for him, God delights in in the paths of your life. And even he delights in the small details, the things that we think are insignificant are not insignificant to God. The one who knows all hundred trillion cells in our body cares about each and every detail and wants to direct us and guide us for each and every decision. That's the certainty of his guidance. He gives us guidance, personal guidance for us. He also clears the way. The last half of this verse that he will direct your path, it could also be translated as straighten your path. That's the, the kind of double meaning of the word. Uh, the the image is of a crooked path and God going before you and straightening up the way. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've looked at, at the way ahead of me and it looks really crooked. I don't know how I'm going to get to my final destination where I need to go or where my family needs to go or where our church needs to go. And all I see in front of me are obstacles and and windy roads. But God can straighten out the crooked roads. And, And he clears the path, and he shows us the path, and he straightens the path. So let's return to the question, how can I know God's plan for my life? Well, again, he doesn't give us the plan all at once because he wants to develop something in you. He wants to grow you to be more like Jesus. He wants you to learn to trust him more. And as you grow in that obedience and in love and in faith, you will grow in your ability to understand his plan. You must spend time with him, must obey him. You must acknowledge him in everything that you do, and he will direct your paths. Now, I want to go back to that beginning verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Before you can even know God's plan, you have to know God. You have to know the way. The Bible says that the way is not something that that we can come to on our own. The way to life, the way to a life that is pleasing and and profitable and, and just able to give you satisfaction and peace is not something that you can create on your own. You can't create the good life on your own by the things that you have or your abilities or your accomplishments in your career or at school or in athletics, none of that really amounts to anything in the end. When we're looking for the way in life, the Bible says that the way is not a path or a plan. The Bible says that the way is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Before you can even understand his plan or receive his wisdom for a situation or problem that you face, you have to know him. And knowing him comes at the moment of salvation. That's the beginning when we go and reject our own way and we start to go the Jesus way. We say, God, I want to turn my life over to you. It's in that moment that we trust in Jesus we repent of our sin, and He cleanses us, Thank you and He for gives joining us, us today. spirit. And we if begin you begin enjoyed this episode, road trip please subscribe and share with a friend of knowing God. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.